friends, welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my surly priest who is just kind of walking around talking a lot and co-host. Alex Dandino. All right, guys, before today's amazing episode, a little business. Guys, it's official. The Film Alchemists are on Patreon. That's right, patreon.com slash Pod. Guys, it's the absolute best way to help the show. It's the absolute best way to make sure the show is exactly what you want and deserve. For as little as $1 a month, and we assure you guys, every single dollar helps. We so greatly appreciate it. You can get in, uh, meet the people we have in our already amazing community. And if you can, and you climb the official Highlander tier ranking system, you can actually select the specific films that you want us to discuss in a Patreon-exclusive library. Uh, We do some uh, fun get-togethers over there. We got a lot of fun ideas we're working on. We are always trying to make sure that uh, we are earning your hard-earned dollars over there so again that's patreon.com slash film alchemist pod we appreciate so much the support you guys show us so for those of you who are already there thank you for those of you who are about to thank you as well make sure you go to youtube subscribe to our channel film alchemist if you want to see our faces a beautiful uh faces and this guy's beautiful look at this my my killer clown from outer space is now gonna be our third co-host uh, so that's Phil Malcolmus Ca- on you. Nicholas Cage pillow sham is and Nicholas Cage face off prop. Yeah, we're killing it <laughs> with movie props. Uh, the email filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials you're on. We're there. You're there. Let's talk. We're easy to get a hold of. We love to hear from you. Also, if you'd be so kind, leave us a five star rating and review wherever you find the show. Helps us defeat the algorithmic parishioners that are trying to take us down. Takes us down. We're going to make them confess their sins and put us on the charts where we belong. I don't know what character that was, but it felt righteous. Weird. Uh, so, yeah, do all that. Share us with your friends on socials. Thank you. That's all my business. Oh, yeah. I uh, have business, don't I? Uh, for the next few days, um, not sure when it ends, when this airs technically, but uh, I have a story in a forthcoming anthology on Kickstarter from Soda and Telepaths called producing the end of the world my story is called the last song that the last song played will not be free bird it's about a bunch of people at a concert at the end of the world debating what the actual last song is going to be and wouldn't you like to know if you do how please. would you play out mankind exactly go to uh, kickstarter give us i think for five bucks is the tip jar for a little more you can get a digital copy of the book it's really good it's like me and 17 other writers and I think nine artists. My guy's name is Chris Mayaro. They're great, great people. I would highly suggest, uh, highly suggest in looking into this Kickstarter. Yeah. And for the record, my kicking the world out the door would be Search and Destroy by Iggy Pop and the Stooges. But that's just me. I feel like that's a pretty good summation of what we've all been doing here. Just kind of running around, bouncing into each other, causing mayhem. All right, make sure you go uh, support Alex on Kickstarter and his comic book writing. But enough of that business. You guys are here for the heavy truths. That's what we are here. We're more of a deep dive into the soul of humanity. We're here to tackle the big important issues because we're very smart academics. Uh, So we're here to tackle the heavy stuff. And tonight, tonight's movie, right? So our theme of the month 
obviously every December we stuff your guys' stockings, right? So the listeners were able to recommend movies, and we rolled a D12. We let the gods decide, uh, as it were. And so we're going to do some of those movies for you guys, a Christmas movie, as always. And Alex and I this year thought it would be fun to give each other a movie gift, right? So our idea is I'll pick a movie for Alex that I think he'll love and we'll have a good conversation about and vice versa. So the movie I chose for Alex this year uh, is Cavalry. Starring Brennan Gleason. I saw this movie in theaters with my wife. It was kind of one of those on a whim. I'm like, all right, that seems all right. That seems mildly interesting. Let's go, right? We were just out and about. We happened to be there at the right time. Didn't know a lot about it. Hadn't heard a lot about it. This was Arclight Hollywood, right? So just kind of caught this on a whim. And I remember just being glued to my seat. Uh, in the way the very best movies hit me on so many levels, right? I was visually compelled. I love the the overly stylized dialogue and uh, the performance that Brennan Gleason gives in this one has never left my mind since I saw this movie. Um, and I can say without hyperbole, this is one of my favorite film performances. And it's great to see it from a guy who is often in movies, but not often the lead. Um, I just I think this movie's fucking wonderful. And I was very happy to gift wrap this one and toss it to you, Alex opening thoughts on cavalry uh you might not remember this we actually watched this together when it came on video on demand did we really <laughs> we did uh back when we i were was doing one the, of the big disciples of this movie i love back this when we were doing the long box came on demand and you were like we got to watch this movie and it was like one of those days yeah. where we had like recorded like there was a time where we would do like three episodes in a day so we were just like we were just like hanging around and like we got to watch cavalry and i'm like okay cool and yeah it is um it's incredible. Like it really is just like one of these, like it functions on such a strong concept of premise and does such a, there's like this thing about movies where people have time to spare that I think a lot of the time people forget. Like when you sit something in like a convenience store or um, a bar, that kind of thing. When those people have time to spare, like you're waiting for crazy hijinks to happen, this is literally a man whose day is spent trying to make people feel better about themselves and about where they're going and that kind of thing. And it's a fascinating, yeah, it is like kind of this weird like walkabout, but it opens so strongly that the entire movie just hangs with this like huge cloud over it. And you're just waiting for... You're, you're waiting for the ending. Like, you're waiting for the ending in the worst way. Like, you don't want the ending to come because by the time it happens, like, the movie's been so strong. It's it's incredible, man. It truly is just one of those wonderful yeah. movies. Well, we start with a quote, right? Which I always love starting with the quote, right? Yep. Uh, Despair not, one of the thieves was saved. Do not presume one of the thieves was damned, right? And I think this is kind of a fun way to start this film because... I mean, the, the movie even self-referential uh, in its wink at the, yeah, we know, because the very first line of the movie, uh, Brendan Gleeson sitting in a confessional booth, someone comes in, Shh. Uh, I first tasted semen when I was seven years old, right? Wait, what? You know, yeah. we thought we were coming for like a little drama, you know, we're going to get a little slow roll, see the priest kind of walk around, shake some hands, kiss some babies, and then, you know, ponder God. 
and the movie just comes out and fucking smacks you right up the head, right? Yeah. Um, and Brendan Gleeson's character even says, like, well, that's a startling opening line, right? And he kind of is at a, at a bit of a loss, right, as this parishioner uh, just delves into these myriad abuses that he had to suffer, right, at the hands of this now-dead priest. Um, and it's fucking horrifying and tragic. And I think it's a really cool setup, right, visually, because we're just watching this man listen to this confession. And this is actually a beautiful way to start this film, because what this movie is, right, is a priest, because what we see is at the end, right? He's like, uh, there's no point. The other priest died, right? There's no point in killing a bad priest, right? A rapist priest, right? So everyone say, yeah, you got what you deserved. But he said, now killing a good priest, that's something that'll get him talking, right? So the movie essentially is this priest whose days are numbered, right? Who has a, a damaged past, who's trying to find his way through the world. Essentially just walking around and just being battered by the horrible parishioners in this town. Um, and it's essentially everyone taking their last pound of flesh with the church via this man that we come to love. Right. Um, and so it, it's... It's such a strange film in that regard is that it's not playing him as this pious, better than everyone priest who's trying to do these fiery sermons to bring the town back. Um, I wanted to ask you that to start. Why so calm in that confessional booth to start the film? I mean, he is told I'm going to kill you in one week's time and get your affairs in order. Doesn't rush out. Doesn't seem concerned to find the face, which we find out later he knew who it was the whole time. Um, why not make a bigger deal of this? I think there's something about, I, look, I grew up Catholic. I've had, a, I, you know, I've, I've done confession a handful of times and it is a weird thing. Like it's honestly, it's a, it's a very strange, uncomfortable thing. And because I can tell you personally, like when I've, when I've done it, I usually forget the terrible things I've done that I actually need to confess. And I have to make something up because I just don't remember things that I've actually done. But it's a quiet thing. And it's a very quiet moment. I think for me, Father James, <clears throat> Brendan Gleeson's character, Father James does such a service to, he's still in service to this parishioner. Whether or not it's, a threat of death or anything like that. People say crazy shit in there and it's just part of the, it's part of the ritual. I think for me, I mean, we don't, he, he doesn't speak of it until he goes and sees the Bishop later. Like, and that's by the way, yeah. several scenes later, it's not even like immediately yeah. after. Well, it's brilliant because the next scene is him giving communion to the line of suspects. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we learn like you said, down the road a little bit, he knows exactly who the fuck this is. Yeah. And he's still serving communion to them, right? And he kind of gives shit to the other father, right? Father Doofus about, you know, you have to detach yourself from confessionals. We're here to provide solace. Right, and that's exactly what he's doing. And I think there doing. is a... And it becomes part of this character, right? And, and, and I have to start wondering, does he actually think he's providing solace to any of these people? By letting them just batter him about. It it feels there there is a strangeness at the core of his mission in the film, right? 
which yeah. he seems like a good guy who's trying to make the best of this world, right? I also don't know that he's actually providing the solace that he thinks he's providing to these parishioners, right? There is a weird there's a weird pull in this movie with this guy, right? As he's on this march. Let me ask you this though. This is so funny. The first time we watched it, I had no idea who the killer was going to be. Yeah. And was actually surprised at the end of the film. It was one of those I just didn't see it coming. I didn't know who it was. Yeah. I wasn't out ahead of the movie. It's not like it's, you know, Kaiser Soze or whatever. Well, it's going to be the... one of X people. Amy, when we watched it, we walked out of the theater and Amy went, I wish they wouldn't have given away who the killer was in the first scene. And I went, wait, what? And she's convinced to this day that they did not alter the voice whatsoever and that she knew the whole time it was Chris O'Dowd's character. All right, Amy, I hope you're listening to this episode. I have the answer for you because I actually looked this up. Cause okay, because this has always been something that we've bantered back and forth. I'm like, no, you. They, of course they wouldn't give it away. He has a very distinctive uh, tone and timbre. He does. It is a completely different actor who has a similar similar tonality according to um according to imdb but either way what they wanted was someone who was similar in tone to chris o'dowd but not chris o'dowd so that you would not know immediately who it was well i'll give amy this in the defense right the other suspects we meet rich guy uh housewife who's having an affair there's a lot of people who the ugandan mechanic and Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, all of them have voices that sound distinctly not at all like Chris O'Dowd or right. the other actor in the confessional. So maybe she just put that together. <laughs> but she was convinced that the movie just kicked this right off the bat. And I was like, why would they do that? Why? And I guess, again, we're arguing maybe they could have. But, but I don't if know. they could have. But I don't know. See, to me, this is like the really important thing about it. Like. I watching it again, like I know Chris O'Dowd is this person. What's it's interesting fascinating on the second watch to show how they put us through that. What's interesting to me about it is that how little concern I have for who it ends up being. I think this is like yeah. this is what makes this movie because in any other in any other director or any other writer director's wheelhouse, this is a who done it. And this is like a guy who's trying to figure out who's killing him. Who's gonna kill him? This is about a man who first off, he's not been a priest his entire life. He was originally he was a he was a father and his wife died and he literally that inspired him to become a priest. A horrifying, long drawn out yeah. illness, it sounds like, yeah. So this is a man who's per, like who's lived a secular life essentially, and who's decided to take the cloth. So to me, like what's interesting about the concept of Brendan Gleeson's character is this is a guy who willfully accepts the sins of the world onto himself. So like this See, that that's what I thought. But okay, so on that train of thought, right? Does this not feel a little egotistical or? Maybe that's not the right word, but it's it's a I need to continually punish myself. That's exactly what that's exactly what you're supposed to think about him. I think that that's what it is. And by doing that, you have to decide. And this comes down to the viewer. This is the subjection of a viewer is whether or not that is noble or whether or not that is egotistical. 
however Brendan Gleeson portrays that part. It's not up to Brendan Gleeson in this movie to tell us whether or not that's the case. It's up to us to assign that to him. And I think that's a really fascinating and ultimately like the most legendary thing about this movie is how the director allows us to assign our own uh, morality essentially to the character itself. Yeah, because Brendan Gleeson is just an a lovable guy in this movie, right? Yes. He's sharp and witty. And again, a lot of the stuff I was reading on Letterboxd has actually found out people that I know on there shit all over this movie. And one of the big complaints How? is that the overly stylized dialogue. And I don't know if it's just me, but extra stylized dialogue in movies almost never bothers me, right? No. If it's done well. You, there are definitely movies where they're trying a little too hard yes. to capture that essence. And we grew up, we went to film school in the you know time after Kevin Smith and Tarantino. Mm -hmm. So I've read plenty of that, right? Like I've read a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I think this, yes, everyone talks like, you know, philosophy majors, right? Or theater majors and this and that. I don't think it, it detracts from the film at all because the film has this meditative quality already, right? The movie is just this man. It's almost as if it's just this guy having this battle with himself, right? Like you could almost watch this as a theater of the mind where it's just this priest like, all right, now I'm going to have at uh, a doctor and the, the whores that he's seen and why. I'm going to have at the rich and why they get away with their sins, right? And the movie does a wonderful job of, well, Brendan Gleeson is this lovable, snappy priest. He never is avoiding the fact that the church has all these follies. And he's not a man who ever can absolutely and resolutely say that the church and God are the cure-all for all of this, right? No. He I, has faith, and he has decided that, because he's not as much a priest as a knight in this movie, it feels like, right? Yeah. Is that he has taken a creed and a code, and come hell or hell, like, there's a scene when he yells at the fucking, uh, you know, butt-sucking priest uh, who's always trying to get the money and stuff. Right. And he's just, you know, he's like, why are you even a priest? He yells at him, right? And the next morning, he's like, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and he's trying to apologize to the guy, and he just goes, you know, you just have no integrity, and that's the worst thing I can say about a person. And just levels this poor doofus of a man uh, and crushes his whole kind of life goal that he's going to be this, you know, priest or whatever. And there, I thought that moment was really reflective, right? This is a guy who cares because it, it is he almost went to this town of exiles, right? It almost has a lost vibe, right? They're just this island of misfit toys. And he's just out there kind of parading about them having these kind of philosophical back and forths. Right. And so for me, the stylistic dialogue is just the luscious icing on this, this wonderfully solid and well-designed cake. I agree. I mean, it's stylized as again, I, I think once we get past, once, once you've seen a single Tarantino movie, your argument about stylized dialogue needs to kind of go away. Like, well, I mean, also, you probably would agree, right? But watch almost like 98% of movies. Human beings don't talk like no. they do in movies. There are. If you've ever tried to write a script, you'll know why. Record your friends talking for an hour at a bar. Yeah. It doesn't sound like any I'm movie. I'm going to tell ever. you right now. People who. <laughs> and look, I'm. I can tell you that the way I. You know, and I've. You know, when I've written, and Griffey can speak to this, I try very hard to mimic how people talk. People are boring, it's very difficult. <laughs> 
Like it's very difficult yeah. to write how people actually <laughs> talk. So you have to yeah. stylize quote unquote dialogue because then it's actually a movie. If you're just filming people talking, it's essentially a documentary and documentaries are great, but nobody wants to watch a documentary about people talking. It's, <laughs> I mean, some people, but this is my point. It's is a very that specific. I, I get mad when people are like, Oh, I like the visual flair and the lenses they use. It makes it look like a different time and era or fantasy world or science fiction world. And it's like, but why can't you do that with the language? To me, it's a very right? cheap The language shot. is just another tool. Yeah. I, I think it's That's just it. one of those things that people don't. There In a movie like this that is a very earnest tale, I think maybe there's a little bit, they wish it was a little more meat and potatoes uh, than this. And I, I just don't agree. But that is one review I kept reading over and over again. I mean, it's. Um, and I was just like, you just deprive yourself. And also, this cast is fucking wonderful it's a great it's an why wouldn't cast. you want to hear these actors just go at it like this it's a it's a wonderful cast like they wonderful. all do a great like look one of the most plaintive movies like not plaintive but like one of the most stylized movies i think anyone would ever watch it's like in the style of like real life would be like the french connection absolutely no one in character in the history of existence walks into a bar it's all right popeye's here nobody does that no <laughs> Not once in your there life. There has to be. I would imagine if you're a man named Popeye, you have all kinds of other issues going on. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's possible. Maybe a Popeye. You have. But like, no Rick is doing that. You have Brendan Ricks Gleason. Ricks don't make grand entrance. You have Brendan Gleason, Chris O'Dowd, Aiden Gillen, Isaac DeBankle. Like, you have M.M. Walsh is in this fucking movie. Yeah. You have people who are just like some of the greatest actors of our times. And you're going to tell them, the, hey, can you speak more like, I don't know, me and my buddy down at the bar? No, not at all. Like <laughs> that scene with M. Emmett Walsh, when he like brings him supplies. First off, M. Emmett Walsh is literally like one of like the Coen brothers favorite actors. If you want to talk about stylized dialogue. There's there it is right there. He delivers one of the finest scenes in this movie, and he just speaks in platitudes. It's wonderful and brendan gleason even makes fun of him for it he's like that's one of those Every things time. that sounds smart that's one of those things actually sound smart like, when yeah. people yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's incredible but it's funny because brendan gleason does that like eight times in the movie like the cardinal says something right and he goes i think you read that in a book <laughs> right like so he even is admitted because a big part of this film too is the front and faces we put on for the world right in that confession booth we get essentially a moment of pure honest truth right almost the rest of the movie is someone obscuring something right even the priest lies multiple times in the film right for what like even when he's getting the gun from the cop right mm -hmm. where he's like yeah my dog i think i need it for my dog because he knows he needs to lie to make to grease the wheels right to make the world go round and so a lot of this movie is the people putting on faces right and i just i think it's so wonderful right and to bring it back to the who the killer is right one of the very first scenes, right? So he goes and sees this woman who got hit. Yep. And he's like, I'm going to go handle this, right? He's doing his duties. He's putting himself out there, right? The other priest is like, don't get involved. You know, there comes up be, like, with some absurd issues. thing. And I'm just like, I've never heard a priest not want to get involved in people's personal Sure. Lives. But he, he represents, I think, the state of the modern, like, business church. Absolutely, yes. And so he's like, think of the PR. And he's like, no, someone got hit. I'm going to go deal with this. Um. And so he goes and sees this woman, right? And she got hit. And 
her her kind of thing is constantly almost trying to shock him, right? To prove to him that she's a lost cause and not worthy of saving, which he doesn't accept. Um, and she sends him to the husband, right? Like, you can go talk to him. He can bore someone else. That scene is so wonderful on the second viewing, right? So he he's at the butcher shop. He's talking. The priest comes in. He goes, oh, I need Johnny Cochran. That's a giveaway, right? Right. And then he goes into the freezer, right? And he goes, hey, if we get stuck in here, we'll have to make love to stay warm. Another one. What a fucking insane thing to say to the priest you're going to kill because another priest abused you, right? Right. And there's this, this kind of wonderful layering on, right? Even at the end, the last thing in the scene, right, is like, hey, it's freshly slaughtered if you want some meat, right? We see close-ups of meat. They do that a lot, too, a close-up of dead meat or a weapon. Mm-hmm. And then cut to the father talking to one of the suspects, right? But that scene, right, what I love about that scene, so this is a priest who knows this guy said, I'm going to kill you uh, weeks in Sunday, right? You're gone. He still finds value in going in and just talking to this guy, and he doesn't raise a fuss. He's not, how fucking dare you? You know, I'm a representative of the church, blah, blah, blah. He hasn't told anyone really, man, because he's worried that it's a it's a breaking of confessional, essentially. It is. That's exactly but what I it actually, is. I actually think that argument doesn't hold. I think he kind of is deciding how he wants to deal with this himself. But to go in and be like, I'm still going to take on this this transgression, right? And put that ahead of the impending duel on the beach. That scene, it, and that's what I think the best movies, right? That there are just scenes and moments that just stay the same or get better every time you watch it, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't even think it's just like a once you know the movie gets better. I think these scenes are just so the interplay between these actors is so fucking wonderful sometimes. In the way that these confrontations are slotted into the script, I just think it's a wonderfully written film. And yeah, I, I would look to that butcher shop and be like, what is this movie not giving you that you think it should have? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is. It's perfectly, it's perfectly in its own boundaries, and it does, it does such a good job of. It's good. It's supposed to go another direction. I think this is like the thing that I kept coming back to. Like this is like I think the third time I've watched it, and Calvary does this thing where. It's supposed to go another way. For one, like from the jump, this is like a really. I think we might have skipped over this. By the way, the most important thing about like why this is happening to Brendan Gleeson's character is not because he abused anybody. It's because he's a good priest. He's a good priest. Yep. And he's like, and the character who's talking to him in the very beginning, that is not Chris O'Dowd, Amy Griffey, uh, is uh, <laughs> yeah. Take her down. And <laughs> take you down a peg. Um, but she just says like, she knows everything all the time. How shocked would, how shocking would it be to kill yeah. a good priest? So well, let like, me ask you this real quick. Do you think that by the end, Brennan Gleason agrees with him and that's why he shows up? No. To be a martyr? Brennan Gleason shows up to be a martyr. Yeah. But that's what I mean. He agrees it will be shocking. It will be. I mean, everywhere. it'll be shocking, but it, it it's not in the. Is that his final? It's not martyrdom. It's a in shot the at the church. Who, Chris O'Dowd or Brendan Gleeson? No, Brendan Gleeson. Do you think he's taking a shot at, like, look at what this church has become? I think Brendan Gleeson's character sees it as... 
particularly after the previous evening. I think Brendan Gleeson sees it as <laughs> I've I've had my time. Like I it's a really fascinating it's hard it is this, this sort of like stages of grief thing. Because but like really it's only like three essentially. It's like disbelief for almost like the entire movie. But like suspended disbelief. He walks around like nothing's it's a happened. Detachment, just like they t- like he's like, ah, if I don't acknowledge it, it'll go away. I mean, right? he's detached almost up until the very, very end. Like the only yeah. time you really see him assign emotion, even with it around his daughter, the only time you really see him assign emotion is when he finds his dog. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. We're really going a lot of ways right now. So I, here's here's how I think this movie might work best to tackle. Right. Let's kind of go character by character. Okay. And what their interactions with fa- the father show us about him and them, right? So let's start with uh, Chris O'Dowd's wife, right? The abused lady. Yeah. Now, this is the one role that I'm not sure they nailed in the film, right? I feel like they kind of play her as this typical home-wrecking, wandering-eye sex crazed female right and i think they try with brennan gleason to let him you know i know that you're putting on a facade and that's not you i think this is a bit of a miss this role right but her role in the film essentially seems to be she loves to try to shock the father with her misdeeds. to me she's just greasing a squeaky wheel that's all what do you mean by that meaning like for me, the character, like, all she's there to do is push things forward. Like, push things to what they need to be. Like, to like as far as, like, her na- function narratively, like, I-, I almost don't even mark her as a character in a lot of ways. Like... Yeah, see, I think that's a bit of a flaw of the film, right? Because she has a scene that I love, right? That final scene on the beach. When he just does the, you know, no one's a lost cause. Like, right. why are you behaving this way? Because she's the one who comes in and she constantly makes sex jokes to him, right? Like, ooh, on my knees. You know, and it's like, all right, I get it. Sex stuff. You like sex stuff. Come on. Yeah. Come on. But she's so, again, she doesn't serve, she doesn't serve nearly the purpose that I think she could have, I guess. I don't know. Like, again, she's just, it's not a character I mark really in the movie. Yeah. And I think that's the problem, right? Is that she should, Matt, she She is being abused by someone we still never find out exactly who did it right it could be chris o'dowd because he does admit to pushing her that once uh you know she's having an affair everyone knows about it i feel like there was something i wanted another scene from her but i i agree that's the one that i would mark down is not great let's talk about uh the rich man right so we have our rich man he has some of my favorite interludes with father right is one because they both represent pillars of societal power right Right. so there's just a more interesting dynamic there than some of the others but i think there's just this wonderful (laughs) kind of cat and mouse game they're playing that really is essentially always going to boil down to money i remember the first time i watched it i thought he was the guy yeah i thought they do that again where he's like pull and they show his gun up close and then it like you know, racks focus to the father. I thought like, he was, oh, gonna, oh, oh. I thought for sure he was going to end up being the guy. Cause the first time I watched this movie, I really was like doing my own detective work, trying to figure out mm-hmm. what was happening. 
And I was like, it's going to end up being the rich guy. I figured Milo was a little too on the nose. Littlefinger seems like he's having plenty of fun. Yeah. I was I was like, all right, maybe the barkeep. I don't know. I don't know who I was settled on the first time. But yeah, the rich guy seems pretty fucking likely. Yeah. But what about what about this character in particular and how he interacts with uh, our father works so well for you? I mean, I think you said it best. Like, it's the two pillars. It's the um, it's those two things that are working against one another, sort of. Like, it's this pious man who believes in <laughs> some form of moral, uh, not moral superiority, but just morality in general. And um, I think that that's what um, it's nice to see. It's fun to see that dichotomy of someone who not only is like rich but also like completely aimless like has no direction whatsoever he's just yeah he's literally just a walking id of just like <laughs> what is next yeah and how do i enjoy well he it? constantly is like look at this pen it's expensive or i'll tell you what you see when you see me sophistication handsome man of influence right and right. he just but what i think is really fun about that character's interplay especially is that brendan gleason knows that he's the exact guy the church would hold up because he can give that $100,000 donation. And he fucking knows, right? And it is very core. He seems repulsed by this man. He seems to actually hate him, right? This man who lost his family, doesn't care, right? He has all this money. He has committed financial crimes. But like he says, there's no punishment for men like us, right? Which I thought was a very cutting line, right? To priest and, you know, rich guys don't get in trouble, which is reinforced constantly throughout the film. I thought it was just a beautiful interlay, right? And that scene where it comes to the painting, I thought was a really cool moment, right? There's this these classic battle of ideas, right? When you see art, why does it have to mean anything? Uh, it doesn't matter. I own it, and that's what matters, right? Why does that right. fucking... And their battle over that, and when he just takes it down, he's like, I'll piss all over it. I thought that was just a really insightful moment. And then they do the Mrs. Robinson shot, from the graduate of the peace stream. The and shot, is, the shot itself is incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, it's just, it's so perfect. It, yeah. Again, this is like the dark comedy that comes from, it just seems to like me, be a McDonough family trait, I guess. Cause John Michael McDonough directed it and wrote it. And then he's the, he's the older brother from Martin McDonough. Mm-hmm. They both, this feels like it's a McDonough movie for sure. Like if you yeah. and like you and I are both admittedly huge fans of Martin McDonough. So it's interesting because this feels like the same director, but it's a different person, even though yeah. it's the same family. Same sense of humor, though. So, yeah, I just I, thought I like it was that. Just nice, man. It's, it's cool. But at the end, I, I like the moment. They, they have a nice wrap up, actually, for what's a pretty contentious. Right. Where yeah. he's actually signing the check and, you know, father butt suckers like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, oh, the, the money. Sorry, I have a sucker fish on my aquarium. So I just imagine like one of those, but as a human on like rich guys butts, you know, sucker fish. Oh, thanks for the money. Oh, new church. Right. And that's, you know, father soon to work at State Farm. And Brandon Gleason just goes, why put your money where your fucking mouth is, right? He's like, if it doesn't matter, make it 50. He goes, what if I make it 100? What would you say? And he just goes, I'd say thank you very much. And I was like, yes, I, I love their contentiousness. 
But that wrap up at the beach, I thought was wonderful, right? Where yeah. he just is a guy who just out openly admits he's like, I have lived to such excess and I've done everything so much and so excessive. I've tried everything and none of this has a fucking meaning to me. And it's a weird time for father too, because you have to wonder if in that moment, his journey and where he's about to head down the beach also has any meaning. Or if he's just kind of also hit a point of no return. And he well, knows yeah, his I mean, faith, I think he's his faith for won't weather him anymore. So I thought that was in the fact that he like reached out and he's like, I'll come to the house later. I don't know if he means that. He doesn't. But I thought it was but, cool, man. I thought I really like that moment. I thought I think that that moment captures too, right? This absolute hopelessness. You know, this big roiling sea in the background. But there's just this like, hey man, I'll I'll put the hand out. And maybe this is the first step, right? Maybe this is as good as it gets for each of us. Um, I thought that was beautiful, man. So let's talk about Milo, Incel Milo. <laughs> very small character but has a wonderful scene in the church where he comes in and is essentially asking right he's you know hey i think i need to join the army uh <laughs> i love the father's reply to he's like i think there's something inherently psychotic about people who join the army in peacetime um what do you make of incel milo who's just used all the porns and is so mad at women for not having sex with him Incel milo this was before I even knew what incels were, not looking back on it chronologically. Uh, what did you make of Milo in his interactions with our father? I feel like all of these all these characters that Father James interacts with are these avatars for himself. Like some version of his own yeah. not ineptitude or not like it's his His sins manifest, yeah. I wouldn't even say sins, though, because it's not like there's a scene of him just jerking well, no. okay, furiously but this to is, pornography. This is what the father says later, right? Is He says uh, when he's on the phone with his daughter right before he's got, he says, I think we have way too much focus on sin and not enough not on enough virtue. On, right? yeah. I think he recognizes, and I think maybe that's what the uh, adulteress was supposed to help represent. He's not so much worried about the sin, right? That there's a lot of this focusing on You've done something or you are something that can't be redeemed. Right. I guess and he refuses to accept that. Incel Milo represents this version of himself of what he is almost the version of himself that he started the priesthood as. You're running from something. So yep. instead of like actually confronting <laughs> joining this, the priesthood in peacetime, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a really fascinating again, like it's I think it's very fascinating. All these characters represent this piece of this piece of his psyche, this piece of his personality that is who he wishes in a small way, wishes he was this person still or wishes he was that person, but he's not. It's a really, it's a really fascinating and hard thing to like, especially when you're a priest who wasn't a priest, like didn't go into the cloth immediately. It's probably very difficult to actually rectify with yourself and say like, the choices I've made are not based on the fact that I was a horrible shitbag person or like I'm running from tragedy. I'm running from a personal issue. What it is is I like feel this calling. I think that I think is more than anything, the really fascinating piece of father James's story is that his calling is not to God. Like so many people in the priesthood and so many people in the clergy speak of this calling to God, calling to do God's work. 
not enough people and i think that's what is so great about father james is this avatar for what we wish christianity essentially was or catholicism for that matter which is you want it to be about spirituality and you want it to be about virtue like he says and it's just not and i think that's what's that's what's interesting about all these characters is he finds the virtue in all of them really he runs through the entire movie trying to find not the shit or the bad thing or like he never not once from in my opinion has he is in throughout the movie is he other than other than the bar is he like super judgmental towards anybody he accepts people for who they are in a lot of ways that is letting the old self back in in a way we'll get to the bar scene i think it's funny with incel Milex. What you were saying actually made me think of that Megadeth lyric, right? Peace sells, but who's buying? And I think that's a really interesting thought a lot of times, right? Is that everyone's trying to sell us peace, serenity, heaven, whatever name you want to apply it. But that stuff sells better when things are bad, right? Right? If you actually have heaven, you want to need to buy all this shit. You want to need a church. You want to have all this shit. So I think that's a really funny thing. And I think one of the things that Father James, like when he says, like, don't go to the fucking army, like he actually speaks a little truth, right? Instead of just let God guide you, my son, or whatever. And I, I Milo's another one where I think there was more uh, meat on that bone, right? Because I think Milo is coded homosexual, right? I think they're trying to say that he is unsure of his sexuality, right? So somewhere in the LB, LGBTQ community, right, is where Milo might, Fine. He says he's been dabbling in um, transgender porn. There's just a lot of these things where I think he's just a sexually confused young man. He's angry at women, perhaps because he's not attracted to them, whatnot. And so I think there's something there. And I, I think they could have maybe gotten another scene out of it. It's weird because I'm normally such a stickler for fast to the point movies. Uh, and this one, I would have meandered longer with almost every character. I thought they were wonderful. Uh, but I thought Milo was funny because Milo brings out this thing, right, where the priest is trying to speak wisdom to this youngster who is just not hearing it. And then as he's leaving, he's like, well, thanks for making time to talk to me. I can't say that it's been helpful, but sometimes it's good to get these things out in the open, I suppose. And I was like, that's kind of a sentiment for his entire journey in the Absolutely. film. Right? I'm not sure that any of it's helpful, but I do think in a way that him allowing people to fight with him about the missions and the priest and the, all these things, it is good somewhat to get that shit out in the open, right? As we learn uh, as the movie goes on. Uh, who else do we have? We have Littlefinger. He's like, not a great character. Not right? a great character. Yeah. Or how, I can't do his yeah. accent. The atheist doctor. It's so, by the way, like. What I don't is think, that accent even? I don't think Aiden <laughs> Gillen I don't think Aiden Gillen is that Irish. He's Irish, but he's not that Irish. But man, it is a thick brogue he throws on for this one. <laughs> I mean, you're describing his voice like a Scotch, like it's peaty and has like campfire notes. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is like it is like a fifty-year-old aged barrel of Lagavulin. It is. It's there, yeah. Man. So I think the atheist doctor is a great mashup against our priest. Uh, what about? Littlefinger in this film did you enjoy so much? The accent? <laughs> um, no. Um, for me, Aiden Gillen's character in this movie is... Uh, he's... 
he tells that fucking story which is just like that story is ugh. amazing what I, a fucking monologue i mean it's so it's about a boy who's just fine right goes in for a surgery the anesthesiologist or whatever the fuck he said the anesthesiologist right the anesthesiologist messes up and so this boy becomes paralyzed deaf dumb and blind as he says right and he kind of talks about he's like imagine waking up that boy in the fucking pitch black and hoping mom and dad can come save you and you're just trapped in this fucking tomb that is your body and mind it's fucking unbelievable and it scared the shit out of me honestly yeah well even the father just gets up and he's like what the fuck he's like why don't you tell me a story and he gets up like he's gonna whoop some ass and fucking Littlefinger takes the karate hands. Yeah. I, was, I was like, all right, that's weird. Of course, that guy does karate. But I think he gets to this point, right? Because this is one of the, like, three or four characters that really make a really, you know, give him something that is impossible for him to grapple with, right? Why does that kid have to suffer like that? And as a doctor, seeing that all the time and seeing the frailty of why that... Right this is the way we are and how these things afflict certain people, good people, innocent people. It's really hard to keep a faith. And so I think he provides this really, and again, he's just such a smarmy, hateable man, right? Yes. He he's plays like it brilliantly. Brilliantly shit doctor. Like, just incredible. Yeah. But it's, it's this is the thing. He's not just needlessly shitty like he is in some of his other roles. It makes absolute sense that you'd see a priest and be like, yeah, fucking okay. Yeah. You're helping out. I'm the doctor fucking telling that boy's parents the state of his life. And I'm the shit because I do a little cocaine to blow off steam. Like, it makes perfect sense that he would fucking be mad at this guy, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's just he's <laughs> he's the person who can do he's he's this version of. It's like another version of a priest, essentially. Like it's a doctor and you assume doctors are upstanding and good people and they would never put themselves or others in harm's way. And then doing stuff like telling horrible stories like that, drinking, doing blow. It's just one of those things where, yeah, you see this part of your life where you're like, I could have just been, I could be a shitty person. And probably like he's still a doctor. Like I think that's the thing is it's like this version of almost jealousy of like being able to be a shit person. Well, I I think there's there's a fun thing in You're that. You're in a level of authority. Point, right? You're in a place that yeah people trust you. But he that's when we only see him when he's at the bar blowing off steam, and in that moment it's wonderful. We see him at the because hospital that's once. When, right, but that's what I mean. He's not doing blow and drinking and fucking dudes' wives at the hospital. No, he's like I'm gonna go in and you know put this dude down. I'm gonna turn him off life support. Uh, this husband or whatever. And I think in that moment, it's really funny because that's when Brennan Gleason lets his guard down, right? He's the father who's going to help the churchly authority figure. Right. And in the movie, he almost never gets out of character. Littlefinger does, right? Where he's like, you know, over here I'm doctoring. But when I come out here, you know, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of gallo humors. And I'm going to try to fuck. And I'm going to live this more uh, hellraisery pleasures of the flesh. Because I see how fallible that shit is. Um, and I thought that, again, that's just another kind of fun visual reinforcing of the no-win battle that the father is constantly fucking fighting in this movie, right? 
And then you have your other kid. You got your, you know, Ugandan mechanic who never really gets a great line in. Um, he does ask him about the missions, right? Where they send these priests abroad because then they can fucking abuse more freely. Yeah. Um, so that's a point hammered home. But again, not a lot going on. The bartender essentially, you know, oh, they're foreclosing on me. You know, why do you fucking people never get in trouble? Whoops, the priest ass uh, with a bat. <laughs> and then uh, we got to talk about our priest's daughter. Uh, this was an interesting Fiona. character to add to the film. Fiona. 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 Just like Shrek's Fiona. Uh, yes. <laughs> so this was a weird line that opened with our father-daughter uh, meet cute. When he goes, oh, you made the classic air. <laughs> the classic right? air. You cut sideways and set up and down. It's like, that's an intense way to talk about this. Weird to talk to your daughter that way. It comes in hot, but I would say their relationship really blossoms. Um, and is the the heart this film dramatically needs. It's kind yes. of a, a head it's a head and body assault on uh, you know, the idea of anything in life being good. And I think she's our one, right? And she's not flawless, she's not this, you know, woman in white. No. She has seen some life. She has been hurt a lot. Um, she finds it hard to cope and bear with things as we all do. And I thought watching their relationship to where they eventually get to the point of honesty and it can both admit how not great they've been to themselves and each other. I thought the movie desperately needed this yeah. at its core. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the, this is the aspect of, this is the aspect of the story that's just about forgiveness. And this is a lot about not just father James forgiving himself or forgiving anybody. It's about him receiving, like this is the only transaction in the movie between father James and any other character. Everyone else is just shitting on and shitting on and shitting on. And just, he's taking all the grief onto his shoulders of the world. This is the only transaction he has in the entire movie with his daughter, which is about forgiveness and being forgivable and being forgived himself. It's a really, it's a really beautiful thing. And it's really fascinating because again, you'd think in any other writer director's hands, this becomes a much darker relationship. Like it's interesting because like for me, this is probably my favorite father daughter, one of my favorite father daughter relationships in a movie because it feels She's not just intentionally shitty, like she has good reason, but she's not always shitty. She understands, like she's, she's not, not just an all-out assault. Yeah, right? and yeah. like how often do we see, you know, daughters who are just openly hostile towards their fathers constantly in these kinds of movies? And you're like, doesn't that get tiring at some point? Like being openly hostile like that. Well, she's also like our age. Right? She is, but and I think when, as we both can attest, the fires are dimming. <laughs> Yeah, the engine I don't care is slowing. as much yeah. as I used to. The amount it takes to get me to like have like a fight with you at this point in life about anything important, like you know, whatever. You want to argue the, about all Marvel? The, all sure. the fights I have in my life now are with my kids, so like I the, that's where I save it. So <laughs> that is, they are the fucking final boss of my day. The rest of you are just that old guy in the first level of Punch Out. Like, whatever. yeah, Let's exactly. Once you battled down a child, the rest of this god demons i don't care at all <laughs> but uh i do think i don't know because there's this great moment where they're talking about when he you know wakes up 
And he's just like, if I told you the the tale, right? This folk tale about how the island came to be. Mm-hmm. She's like, yes. And she fucking recites it really fast. And he goes, not a lot of poetry and romance <laughs> in that recital. She says, I'm sick to death of romance, right? And I think that is how I look at them, right? It's this demystified relationship that, yes, they are bonded by blood. No, they will never be this idyllic, romanticized father and daughter. But at the end of the day, no matter how bad things get, it's it's nice to have someone. And especially someone that can understand your pain. And there's even a scene when he gives his daughter confessional, which I thought was intense, right? This is an intense choice to give your own daughter confessional. And she, you know, asked him, if I had died, would I have had gone to hell for eternity, right? In that moment, the father's supposed to say, yeah, that's the church line. She knows she's got him in this moment, right? That the church believes you'll go to hell forever if you harm yourself and die, right? And I love the line he says, right? Which he's just, uh, you know, God is great. And the limits of his mercy have not been set. And in that moment, he cho- even though he's in a confessional and wearing the fucking dress or whatever, he has chosen to be her father mm-hmm. above a priest. And yes. I, I just I thought there are just so many wonderful moments. And by the end of the film, I feel like they've started to kind of peel back the scales and they're, you know, putting down their shields. And there's this really wonderful bond they share by the end, right? And sometimes I think that's something that movies don't always get right. Is that a lot of times characters have shared trauma and they use that just only as a weapon. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you this... experience that, there is also something comforting about just being able to be in yeah. the arms of someone else who understands. You don't have it, to talk about it. You level, don't have to drag it out. The level playing field they both share is very, instead of being weaponized, it's nice to see it being used as what it is, which is grounds for forgiveness. Grounds for just, yeah, like not even having to talk, just emote together. It's a very, it's a very powerful thing. Dude. How about that at the end when they forgive each other on the phone? It's horrible. It's just, it's just, it's brutal, man. When she just goes, do you forgive me too? And he goes, always. Yeah. And this is a guy who, when his wife died, no matter how bad or prolonged it got, and we know he had problem with the drink. Um, He wasn't there when his daughter was also going through it and needed him. And then he chose the priesthood, a line of job where you're supposed to be out there helping everyone else. And to choose that again, kind of abandoning her in her time of need. Um, I thought that was a really nice layer to add to the story, right? I think so. And too. again, Father James never trying to lie about his perfections no. and having all the answers. I think that's a really crucial part of this. Uh, let's talk about the best scene in the movie. For my money. Brennan Gleason getting to act across from his own son. Oh yeah, Domnall, Domhall, Domnall. I believe you're supposed to pronounce it uh, Domhall, because I've been saying Domhall or Domhall for a long time. Uh, however you pronounce it, right? Wonderful actor who I love to death. Uh this scene is my favorite in the movie, right? Domhall. Not because I'm morbidly fascinated Donald with Gleason. How much? What Domdal? Donald. 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 Like Donald. Like McDonald's. Well, that's anticlimactic. <laughs> I was hoping for something with a little more stank on it than that. Donald Gleason. Right. Donald Gleason. 
Now I sound like an even bigger fucking idiot for years. Because it's just this like completely normalized name. I like to put stank on names. I can't help it. Um, so not only am I morbidly fascinated by serial killers like we all are. I think this might be the most pointed assault on the concept of God and religion and all this in the entire film, right? So he's a former pupil of the father. So perhaps the father was a college professor. We're not exactly sure where they met, right? He has killed and cannibalized several young girls. Mm -hmm. He calls the father and he wants guidance and help, right? And the father answers the call because that's part of his job. Now, not only is it just cool to get to watch a father and son act against each other like this, and it is beautifully acted. I thought this moment was a wonderful, wonderful microcosm of what this movie would do, right? If I was going to show this movie to someone, I would probably show this scene, even though it doesn't have the humor. But I think it really gets at what this movie does well, right? When he's sitting there and, you know, the pupil, you know, is like, oh, I'm a monster. Do you see a monster? And he just, you know, what does a monster look like? And he starts talking about the cannibalism and this and that. But he gets to this point, right, where, he, you know, I don't think you fucking feel any guilt. Why do you keep calling me here? And he says these this soliloquy, right, about God made me, right? God knows me and understands me. That's a devastating thought, right? Because yes. that's something if you're a priest, you have to square that. That this person, right, is a person was created by your loving God, did these horrible acts, won't tell them where the body was, and cannibalize them. And that, he calls him there because he wants the last second repentance. Right? The loophole in their fucking, you know, legal uh, Costco. The loophole in Catholicism, correct? Yeah, the, the heaven Costco, right? Dogma is about that too, right? The last second, the loophole, you know, I'm in the club. The loophole in Catholicism is you can be forgiven at any time for all your sins yes and allow you need butts and seats and you need people donate anyways not to get on that tangent again we already did the exorcist we'll lay off the priest but it is a fascinating thing that we all i think a lot of us struggle with that right if you struggle with the idea of god and faith and people of faith in your life you know you always see those riley commercials right help kids with cancer i'm like why the fuck if there's a loving god do we have to fix kids with cancer why is that a fucking thing that's not right. You're not an all loving, you know, compassionate God. If you do that, right. give us old people cancer, right? You know what I mean? Like give it to someone who's like 80 and had their run. Don't give it to fucking children, right? Like it's, it's really hard when you read these tragedies after tragedies that, you know, happen to young and innocent. It's hard. And, and so not only does this guy kind of mock that, right? But he says he wants repentance so he can go up to the God who made him who will forgive him and understand him so that he can go to heaven and wrap his arms around the girls that he murdered and ate one more time, but without the dark desires. And that was a staggering bit of writing. I thought, uh, what a fucking vile and disgusting sentiment. Yeah. Delivered it's... perfectly from this serial killer. Uh, Man, I thought this scene was a powerhouse. What did you take from this scene? I mean, it's, I mean, it's these, t I, for one, it's one of those things where you're like, 
do you just like get up and hug your kid at the end? Like when they call cut, do you be like, that was amazing. I love you. Thank you for being my son. Like that. I mean, it's our brain. Like, Greek Lisa's just like, you sickened me. He's like, dad, I, stop being method. Stay. I mean, it's just one of those. It's a, <laughs> it's an incredible piece of writing for one. But I mean, the other part is it's the, I mean, it's, it's the hardest question to wrap your head around. Like, especially, and I think more to the point as a priest who did not come to the clergy the way many other people do in their youth. How do you justify these fucking awful people that walk amongst us, you know? How do you justify it? When you become a priest, you take ownership over all of us as creation. Right. How do you... How do you shepherd the most wayward of your flock? And that is the... I mean, then there you is turn around, right you see your flock is fucking one of the sheep is just hooved the other sheep's throat opens, yeah. eating it butthole first because that's I how mean, things eat in wild. I didn't know if you knew that. I didn't. Thank you for telling. That's me a that. nature fact. That's where the softest entry points are. Wow, thank you. That was gross. Um, You're welcome. The more you know, shooting but, starts. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just one of the. It, it's a really. It's a really hard thing to wrap your head around because. That's not what, that's not anything that, there's no other character, obviously, that Brendan Gleeson's dealing with in this movie that's like that. But it's the only character that's going to tell him the truth about what he is. And I think that's the hardest thing to come to grips with when you're trying to be a good person, like Brendan Gleeson, when you're trying to be a good priest, quote unquote. Someone who's made mistakes and can own their mistakes and so on and so forth. When you're dealing with someone who's not made mistakes, but made horrible committed horrible acts sins against not just god but just like basic common human decency mm-hmm. and when you're sitting face to face with it and you're it's someone who in my opinion is not since doesn't just once yeah just wants the loophole well he pulls the card and the father yeah. on some level has to be like fuck that is exactly what that's for, right? That's exactly what later, it is. And the most wayward people need help the most. He gives them the, you know, if God can't understand you, I don't know who Nobody could. Exactly. But and I think that's that's the So let me get to this, right? Cuz we're we're kind of eating up the clock here. Let me ask you one of the more pressing questions, right? Cuz we still have to talk about the widower cuz she's the one who is she's the only one that gives him shelter from the storm right um she's another person living in actual true faith or at least a faith that he accepts right um that she's you know her husband died he was a good man i feel more sorry for uh the people who have never lived and loved right the better loved and lost and whatever blah 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 he gives she gives him like a real boost in the arm right mm-hmm. she even says at one point you know because he's like what is faith you know, but a way to deny death or whatnot. And she goes, well, you know, and if it's transactional like that, it's easy to lose. Well, if, you know, they lost their faith, it wasn't much of a faith to begin with, blah, blah, blah. He's actually going to flee to Dublin, right? He's going to get out of there on the day before his death. Mm -hmm. He sees her again and she's just okay. She's taking him home. You know, she's getting on with her life. She even says, sometimes I think I can't go on, but I will go on, right? Right. They're going out. They're on the fucking stairs to the airplane. He's halfway up. 
And they just stare at that fucking casket with these two dudes just leaning on it, making conversation. Why in that moment get off the plane and go back? And it harkens back to what his daughter said, that when she read there's a Japanese writer who made a list of all the famous suicides and that he considered Jesus Christ a suicide. Is what the father's doing in this movie a suicide? Or at I least think, a suicide mission. A suicide. I mean, yeah, I think by I think by just sheer happenstance, yes. I would say it's this like and I mean, I think in your own in your own head, if you're doing something like that, you chalk it up to more of a martyrdom. Like but that's because in your by head. By any this other seems, name. <laughs> but well, because in your head this seems more noble, you know? Like yeah. I think that's that's like the really hard thing that Brendan Gleeson spends the entire movie coming to grips with whether we need to like really discuss it or not um, on film, which is that what he's doing is either heroic or stupid and really anybody else would be calling the cops and saying, Hey, somebody threatened my life like, and wants me to meet them on a beach. So, Hey, you want to come with me and meet this asshole on a beach so that I don't get killed? Like, yeah. And you can see it ramping up, right? Like you said, we have this horrible fucking devastating moment where mm-hmm. someone murders his dog, right? This wonderful old dog that he lets have his bed while he sits beside it. Ah, it's just brutal, man. So I hate that everyone just goes with the dog killing. Uh, but yeah, they kill his dog, uh, which at the end, Chris O'Dowd's like, I've never killed a dog. Not I've never ki- I'd never kill a dog. So we're left to figure out dog. who did the dog. But then he's like, Anyway, we'll get to that scene. Uh, I don't know who killed the dog still. His church is on fire. Ever, where they also show they also show Chris O'Dowd basking in the flames of the church he lit on fire. Um, Which he definitely did. <laughs> he definitely did that. We see this escalating. We see him go for the drink. We see him shoot up the bar in rage. Mm-hmm. Right? And then point the empty trigger at the barkeep, right? get in these fights something he's broken he's about to break right what because there's this odd moment he comes back right he's on his knees he's like re-armoring up in the priest shit right because before he's out there in like a fucking sweater he's got his leather jacket on at the airport he gets back into the character says his prayers packs all his shit right right why why what what is what is the merit of this, right? Is he here on this earth to actually help and make the place better? Because he's right? doing that's, what? that's his stated mission. When he goes to confront Chris O'Dowd, does this feel like that's part of his mission, man? He's doing exactly what he's been doing the entire movie. To a fault, which is you accept any and all the sins of the world. So if you as a clergyman have to take the sin of another clergyman who couldn't keep their fucking hands to themselves, the noble thing to do is to do that. And I think that's what he's like. That's what he says in his mind. I mean, me personally, I would find that fucking guy and let him like, you know, shove needles through the guy's balls. But like, that's me. I am not a noble. We are both cowards by our very nature. Yeah, I'm not a good person. So I think the difference is like, Father James is a good when person. When that guy so- said that in confessional, I'd be like, oh, dude, really? Like, hold on a sec. Sunday, let me mark down some affairs. 
And I'd flip that curtain back and just go deliver Sparta kicks into the other booth. <laughs> Handcuff that but, motherfucker. Like, that's how I would priest. But that's what but Brendan, he, Gle- he, Brendan Gleeson yes. sees the sanctity of this kind of thing. Like, I think that's, like, the, the reason Father James goes to the beach. Okay, lets this wait, let me, let me ask you this, though, because you keep saying sanctity, nobility. I wonder. I wonder about that. What's there to wonder? Do you think it's this sanctimonious and noble act, right? Do you think he puts the garb back on in that moment I think as a readmission of his faith or because he knows that it won't be the same if Chris O'Dowd doesn't see him in the, the old school dress. You are almost, this is the exact, this is almost the exact argument that Chris O'Dowd has at the beach. He's like, this is a, like, it's a cynicism thing. Like <laughs> it's a hard earned cynicism. If you want to be a said. cynic, that was a great line if you, too. If you want to be a cynic, yeah, absolutely, it's bullshit. Like this is all this false modesty nonsense. If you want to imagine, as I feel like John Michael McDonough wanted us to, or Michael John, I don't remember what it was. I think it was John Michael. John Michael McDonough wants us to, is that this is the last? <laughs> this is the last good priest, and he had to die for everyone for someone else's sins altogether. I wonder if they're saying though that maybe there are no good people, good priests, and that we're all just shades of gray, right? There's a really strange moment where when he falls asleep, right? He sees a vision of all the different possible suspect characters in shining bright white suits pointing guns at him, right? Like the Boondock Saints shot. Uh, Why are they in sparkling white, right? It's almost like they're his, like, harbingers to the afterlife in heaven. Because they're... This does feel almost like a long... He's ready to be out. He's ready to be done. I mean, they're all wearing white because, you know, it's a good contrast color in, on film. I mean, how I, dare you? I mean, I hate to be that guy, but it's just a great. I mean, it's a how good visual. How dare you? Why not red? Why not red? Demon color. No, because they're going to be his little personal angels and send him out of this fucking hellhole. He takes on their sins. So he is. He's their angel. So therefore, they of course are in white because he is, they're they're his angels by proxy, allowing him to feel noble in this way. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. There's something maybe, and it's Again, it could just be. It's all I could be is, guilty of falling in love with Brendan Gleeson. This is and exactly, I didn't want him to. This is exactly what I said at the top of the show. This is a sub- movie that does such a good job of being completely subjective to the viewer. You either buy into what Bre- what Father James is doing, or you don't, and you spend the entire movie trying to figure out how he can get out of this, or you realize that this person is going to allow this to happen simply because it's he feels it's his it's the right thing to do as a member of the clergy as anybody. Well, even up on the elbow, shot in the belly, is just like it's not too late, just stoic as fuck like almost to a to a fault right where you're like tells, he would be in more agony he tells the turn his face. tells the altar boy to bail like he's it is no but then back to character right i i think maybe i was just so forlorn that that had to go down and that you spend the whole time every time you watch it even though you know it's coming trying to Use the Jedi mind trick to. It's a dark cloud that hangs over the entire movie. And that is what makes it such a thrilling watch is because you know, what's going to happen. There's absolutely nothing 
it is yeah. almost as sure as death and taxes. It is death and taxes. You yeah. know what's well, coming. It, there is what he says, right? When it's like, you know, when your dog died, did you cry? Yeah. Did you cry about when you read what happened to me and the other kids? No, I felt detached from it. So that is kind of a, you know, hey, I'm here to tax that ass uh, for all the sins. You represent the organization. Yeah. And I think there is something poetic in the unfairness of that. Is it, is. Why does this good man, the world's a better place for this man we feel like. We want his daughter to have him, right? Why does he have to pay for that shit? And maybe, maybe that's an intention. Maybe that's a design, uh, not a, a bug, right? Is that they want us to feel this rage and anger, right? That maybe it is always a mixed bag, right? The good people mixed in with the people trying to take advantage and do bad things. Um, it's just, it's fucking brutal. It's just For brutal. And then Father we scroll James. through all the characters, the human wreckage of all these other people, unhappy, left behind, right? And you're like, he could have helped. He could have helped. Even though he hadn't yet. For, um, every father, for every Father James, there's a Freddie Joyce. It fucking hurt, man. I, I, it is like one of those like an imaginary character death that like actually hurts your soul. It does. Uh, this is one of mine, man. I, I really love this guy. I love his flawed but honest approach at trying to do better, right? Uh, there's that wonderful moment when he tells his daughter, right? And she's like, tell me you'll always be there. And he goes, I'll always be here. And he touches her heart because he knows he's not going to be there. And I think maybe that's something that does bother me to this day is I hate the the fact that he knows he's going out there to do this and that I don't think it makes the world a better place in any way, shape, or form. And so that's his we're there to provide solace doesn't cut muster with me. But again, he made his he made his choice. Um, I have to ask you, what do you think she says to Chris O'Dowd when the camera cuts to black right after she starts crying? Do you think she's there to forgive? Yes. I thought I've, so, I've too. Thought about this. And honestly, I'm glad they cut before they forgave. Because I think that's what the audience needs to decide. Because I, I am never in a forgiving exactly. mood. <laughs> We've, we're not in a forgiving mood at the end there. And we need days to think about that. And then, then you come to the conclusion she probably says, I forgive you. Yeah. I feel that way, too, man. It's so good. It's, it's just, just a lot. And this movie. is the thing. Yeah, I, I've read a lot of the, the complaints online and this and that. To me, it's just, it's a movie that just starts wonderfully. And I think both visually and uh, in construction and in dialogue and in performance, I just love sitting in this world, right? Does this world feel hyper-realistic? No, right? These are avatars taking on these bigger real world issues, but in heightened, almost soap opera like caricature at times. It doesn't bother me because while you might say, you know, the dialogue's false or this and that or whatever, the sentiments and emotion behind it ring absolutely it feels true every real. time I watch it's it. It's real. Yeah. I I love the heart of this movie. And honestly, for the rest of my days until I die, right? I will cherish this Brendan Gleason performance among one of my favorites of all time. Um, I'm a guy who used to act a little bit. Uh, don't do that anymore. But when you see something like this where the right actor just finds the perfect part 
and he's not having to do like a dramatic makeup transformation or this and that. He just so perfectly becomes this character. It's actually written specifically for him. Yeah, and it's it's just this perfect blend. Um, I I will forever cherish the fact that this exists in the universe, man. And I wish more people would watch it and enjoy it. Uh, hopefully. All of you watched it and enjoyed it with us. A present to Alex. Hopefully a present to you guys Merry Christmas indeed. Merry Christmas. That's it for Cavalry. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, Truly one of my favorite films. One of my five stars on Letterboxd. I have this one of my top tier movies. Uh, So glad we finally got to it. It's been on my list. Since I made the very first 20 films I wanted to talk about when we decided to start a movie podcast. It's been uh, on there for a while. It was one of the first 20. And we're still, I think we probably still have over 10 of them we haven't gotten to. It's scary to tackle your favorites because you want it to be that good. Um, all right, guys. As always, stay tuned. Lots of good stocking stuffers. Alex's gift to me, a Christmas movie. We're going to finish the year strong uh so before we get out of here guys again that's patreon.com slash film alchemist pod every single dollar helps thank you so go over to patreon uh join the fun the youtube is film alchemist subscribe there leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find us the email is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com and make sure you go into the show notes and find the description for alex's kickstarter for uh producing the end of the world right Alex is a writer in there. The story is fantastic. Make sure you guys get in on that. Until next time for the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dean.